Meet Arthur. He's like Miss Coastal, a native New Yorker who lives on the West Coast and refuses to accept it. Have you seen what these people try to pass off as a bagel? It's like, you know, it's like a new kind of comic from one of the producers of Seinfeld. Hey everyone ever and welcome to 20th Century Pop, the show where we try to understand the present while living in the past. My name is Tim Blevins. And I am Bob Canning. Timmy. Yes, Bob. How are you? I'm going to do the how are you every time now. That's the, Yeah, and that seems to be the start. Yeah. <laughs> it seems to be how the episode starts. And uh, I guess every time I'm going to say that, I'm going to be like, oh, that's how it starts. So that's, that's kind of like... I like how you're not answering the question. I think the people would just like to know how you're doing, man, as we start this episode. I, I, I answered it prior. You already know how I'm doing, because we talked before we began. Dude, they don't True. care about me. Nobody's so tuning into this I should, to see I should come up with a better question. I'm not saying that. I mean, yes, I would say that, but I'm not saying that. It's nice that you care. And, 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 and listeners, I can tell you, Bob does ask how I'm doing prior to recording, and we discuss it. But I just, I don't know, I feel like, you know, the momentum, and, and maybe it all changes when the music gets put in. Like, it's like, wow, it's a really driving force to music, get to this. The music helps. It Here's does. the thing, though. There are times where I will ask a question specific to the topic, yeah. and I get the feeling that you are surprised that I'm bringing the topic of tonight's episode up so quickly. Why well, I am, but it's a pleasant surprise. <laughs> okay. It's so a surprise though- of something that's like, let's say like, you know, like the Olympics, you know how they are every two years, but they used to be every four years. And let's uh-huh. say you didn't know they were coming. Yeah. You're like, whoa, winter and summer. That's a pleasant surprise because it doesn't happen often. True. That's what those questions are. They don't happen right. often, but when they do... I'm not ready for it. Now I'm All more right. ready because I get it. I, like had, I, I had another question prepared, but I honestly thought you wouldn't like that I was jumping in so quickly. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, why don't we try that? Sure. Okay. All right. Do you want to introduce hey, your, uh, yourself hey, again? Hey, everyone ever. This is the 20th Century Pop Show. We try to understand the present, living in the past. My name is Tim Blevins. And, and I am Bob Canning. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, hey, Tim. Yes. <clears throat> what were some of your favorite TV shows from the 90s? Whoa, you are just jumping into it. See, I didn't think it was that question. Um, what did I you think I, I was going to do? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I know I didn't give you much lead up, but I, I thought it was going to be a little more natural. My favorite TV shows from the 1990s? Yeah. Is that? Is that that's, okay. that's what I was asking. I was just curious if, if you had any specific ones that pop out. Yeah, I, mean, I, I like. I mean, besides know, well, Friends, everybody knows that we both enjoyed Friends. Oh, well, that was the example I was going to work this whole episode off of, was Friends, the former anchor to and now absent from Netflix spectacular Friends. Oh, yes. But uh, I was watching other shows. I was watching, uh, what, The X-Files. I was uh, watching Batman, the animated series, Caroline in the City. I was kind of a fan of that one. Nice. Uh, The Seinfeld. The Seinfeld. Yeah. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld's television program. Right. Uh, Mystery Science Theater, Theater Three Thousand, Doctor Katz. Um, what? Why? Why do you? Why do you ask? Why? What is? Well, because tonight we're going to be talking about something that I think um, feels like a quintessential type of '90s show, mm-hmm. based on it's even some of the shows that we've already just mentioned as being uh, some of the ones we liked. Um, and I hadn't thought about the show in forever, 
And then you presented it to me as a topic for this week. And, and I just thought it was pretty cool to talk about 90s television. And, and tonight we're talking about the, – the, I hate this title, but I'm going to say it. <laughs> uh, it's like you know. Yes, it's like you know, a 1999 uh, sitcom. Didn't last very long. uh, Created by. Lasted longer than I thought it did. Now, do you remember this? Like, do you remember this show airing? Did you watch the show? I remember the the premiere of the show. I remember the show being advertised, the new new show coming, and and the ads. Um, I remember. (laughs) That's a quote. You can quote us on that. New show coming. (laughs) I remember. The title, because I've never liked the title. I don't um, either. I think I may have watched the first episode, but I can't even tell you if I did. And I had totally forgotten about one of the, the conceits of the show and one of the actresses in the show uh, until I rewatched it this morning. But you do recall it. That's Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed to hear it. It was I that you do, because I... Like, I think it was good that you were asking me. I'm sorry I didn't give you a direct answer to what did I watch. Because, yeah, it was a half-hour sitcom. It aired on ABC uh, between Dharma and Greg and uh, the Drew Carey show. Uh, so I think it was on uh, Wednesday nights, it sounds like. Um, but, yeah, it, it when you, you, you used the word quintessential or something, right, to describe it kind of. How, how would you describe the show? What is the basic premise of it's like dot, 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 you know? Uh, well, I guess to, to be as basic as possible, it's, it's just one of those, uh, as they call them, hangout comedies, where it's just... Is that just, a phrase they use? I've, I've read comedies? it. I've read okay. it in, in some places, where it's just friends, quote-unquote friends, hanging out, sometimes in their home, sometimes at a restaurant, but generally just sort of hanging out and having some hijinks. And in this particular one, um, uh, the, part of the crux of it is that one of the characters is uh, from New York City, from the East Coast, and now we're set in L.A. So the, the entire uh, series is set in Los Angeles, and he is new to Los Angeles and is not a fan of Los Angeles. Yeah, which I that seems interesting. I think that was part of the promotion of it because you're talking about these hangout. You call them hangout sitcoms, is that right? Yeah, <clears throat> I think that was that was a lot of TV that we were watching in the mid '90s, early '90s, 
Um, and like when I think of them, you know, it's like Mad About You was kind of like that. Friends, Seinfeld, Single Guy, Caroline in the City. These were all actually these were all NBC shows, but these are also all New York set shows like the idea of living in new york living in the city rambling around with your friends going place to place that all made sense and that i think populated a fair amount of uh what are considered at the time higher brow intellectual whatever sitcoms of the 90s so to to transpose that into california into los angeles that in itself is kind of an interesting conceit can you think of a lot of other sitcoms from the 90s that took place i guess i could say anywhere else outside of new york but can you think of any that took place in los angeles as a setting in los angeles uh no not off the top of my head do you have any did you come prepared as you often do well, no, because all the ones I think of are pretty much New York-based, yeah. which made sense to me. I enjoyed that. I was in college in the mid-90s, living a life of going to coffee shops and walking around, and that seemed fun to me. This this particular show, and one of the reasons I kind of wa- was hoping to talk about it, and we'll get into it in just a minute about what it's about and, and, and who's in it, is it kind of aired, like it is a kind of a, a lost show. It didn't last very long. I never hear people talk about it. I think I watched an episode. I've, I've seen it since somehow because I knew enough of the structure of it. But um, it aired in 1999. It premiered March 24th, 1999. We're going to be talking about three episodes eventually from, uh, from, from the first season. But 1999 was sort of a, a year of prepping for metamorphosis. And this, this sitcom, this in many ways traditional hanger out or whatever you had said sitcom kind of came and faltered i think the show failed to get an audience the show failed to be watched and, and i kind of want to see if we can discuss that because there's every everything about the show feels very familiar everything i think about the show with the exception of its location seems like what everyone would have been watching so why did this particular show at a particular time on a particular network, why did it fail? Why did it stumble? And what was sort of the TV landscape at the time when when it aired? So I think we'll, we'll get into that a little bit the more we talk about it. But um, the basic conceit of it's like dot dot dot, you know, is that there's a character named Arthur who is a uh, a writer from New York who uh, moves to Los Angeles. And I don't know if he moves there particularly to write this book, but when he's there, he's writing a book about how much he hates Los Angeles. And um, he's played by Chris Eagleman or Eigman, I think is how it's pronounced. Did you recognize? Did you recognize most of the cast? Actually, did you recognize him for starters? Uh, yes, uh, totally recognized him. Recognized the entire cast. Very familiar, you know, character actors and and actresses. He was he was a big like indie film guy in the mid nineties. He was in Kicking and Screaming, Metropolitan, Last Days of Disco. He's who I kind of wish on Caroline in the City. Her assistant, I kind of wish had been him because he he has a very particular kind of entitled upper upper class sort of snooty delivery that works well for a cynical character his character arthur the new york transplant into into la he's kind of a cynical character um and i guess i guess it's his best friend out there the person he moves out to 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 hang out with is a character named robbie who's played by stephen eckholt that's how who, i would um, say it and what did you do was he recognizable to you what did also you know recognizable i couldn't place him you know what i mean like i, did, I didn't know what he was from and in what he's done before or since, but definitely a recognized uh, actor. 
He's Mark on Friends. He was Rachel's uh, oh, boyfriend right. for a good run. That's what I knew him from. That's absolutely right. In fact, I think that's how he got the role. He is a face from Friends that got a sitcom that is, once again, kind of Friends. That's Jesus. How do I not know this, Tim? Well, because well, I was also thinking he was also on a single episode of Working Girl. So I didn't know if maybe you, you recognize him from that. But yeah, he's on it. And he kind of plays his character. Yeah, I guess he's supposed to be the handsome one. He seems to always be pitching ideas, maybe. Is yeah, that I couldn't, his character? I mean, we, we watched um, episodes five, six, and seven. And so he, th- these characters have already sort of been established as to what they do. And, and I didn't get much from these episodes to to his backstory i guess he was maybe a writer or a producer or some sort of creative um in in la but i couldn't tell how successful he was or anything like that from these episodes mm-hmm. but i um, assumed he, he was successful because of the home that they were in so arthur is living with him and then he has another roommate right um a character named shrug i don't know if he lives there Okay, he's there a I lot. I guess I, he's there a lot. I mean, they're all there a lot, but I couldn't, I couldn't get uh, a sense of where Shrug lived. Uh, I feel like he, because of these episodes we saw, I re- I learned that he has money and has yeah, always had money. He has a so, trust fund. I yeah, so I assumed he lived somewhere else. Okay, he's played by Evan Handler, who I I really love. I love him from Californication. That's what I know him from. Um, he's also on Sex in the City. Uh, he was on an episode of Friends as a director, which I remember I think aired after this. And I thought, oh, poor guy, he hit it low. But <laughs> I don't know I, I like him, and um, yeah. so he's recognizable. And then there's two other pretty main characters in this. The first uh, being a character named Lauren, uh, played by AJ Langer. Do you yeah. know AJ Langer? I remember her from My So-Called Life. Yeah, she played Rianne. Yeah. Um, I never watched been... My So-Called Life, but I, I knew of her from that. Yeah, and this, I don't know, it's, it's interesting. This is a nice role for her. I think she's kind of playing, she's sort of playing, I think, a character that we are supposed to automatically like. I think we're, I think of everyone sure. in this cast, she's supposed to be uh, the most endearing. And then the I, most recognized. I agree with that. She's the you one would. I enjoyed the most. Okay. Hmm. And then the other characters, hmm. the character... Wait, wait, why are we questioning that? Well, I mean, I, I think when we start talking about the episodes more, I... the the, the And we'll get to the last character in a second. The, the roles of this show, or the characters of this show, right off the bat felt too familiar. You want some familiarity. I know we're go- coming into the show in the middle, but they just... Most of them felt like they... Like they were archetypes. Like, like uh, Robbie, the character played by a guy from Friends... I guess he's supposed to be witty. I mean, I think he's kind of supposed to be the Jerry Seinfeld, maybe, or something. I don't know. And and A.J. Langer's character, uh, Lauren, is, is, yeah, she's supposed to be the adorable, cute, positive girl that, you know, anyone should wind up with. And it's just, it, it is, it's a, there's not a lot of setup for it. I mean, she's good. She's good in the role. Um, she reminded me a little bit of uh, Sarah Je- Jessica's Parker character from L.A. Story. I could a see that. A I mean, I wish I had seen that. I would have rather have watched that again <laughs> than this. But who who's who rounds out the cast? Who's the other friend within their And this is so surprising circle? because this is the part I totally forgot about until rewatching it today. But it's the last uh, actress is Jennifer Grey, famous for Dirty Dancing, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Jennifer Grey playing Jennifer Grey, playing a version of herself, which I don't know if that. 
happened much prior to this. I know it's happened a lot since. Well, I think but... it happens with every sitcom that came from a comedian. I mean, well, Jerry I Seinfeld mean... was playing Jerry Seinfeld. No, and... I see. Now here's the thing. I don't. I don't see that. You don't see Seinfeld as being the same last name as the actor portraying Seinfeld. I, I never did. Not when I watched Seinfeld. Because well, this isn't me, this isn't really Jennifer Grey. She's but, but playing see, a, Seinfeld. You know the thing about Jennifer Grey though. Jennifer Grey was a movie actress first, and now we're in her. In a way, we're in her world. Is that our entrance into Los Angeles? Then is, is it, that how well, we? Get I don't know if it's our entrance, that? but it's like now we're in what's supposed to be a real Los Angeles with real real actors, and one of them, in fact, and some hangs rear out with actors these other too. Characters. There's a few rear actors there. I'm, I thought I said real. He did. I'm sorry. I'm being a dick. Um, did you like that she was in it? Did you like this? I like conceit? the idea of it. Yeah. I don't think I don't think it was executed well. I think she could have done it a little differently. She's good in comedy. She was on Friends. She was on two episodes yeah. of Friends, and she was good in those two episodes. Again, I think that got her this role as well. I, I mean, I get it. The show is. In a lot of ways, I mean, this show, just to give listeners, if, if, if you don't know an idea, this show is basically Friends and Seinfeld kind of mushed together, I think. Absolutely, I mean, it's yeah. not that those shows are polar opposites, but they, they do share a lot of the same DNA. And we'll get into how it is, those things. But she she can do comedy. The guy, um, the guy who played Mark on Friends, he played that role well. It was a different kind of role. But they can do it. Evan Handler and Chris Eggman, Arthur and uh, the Shrug characters, I feel like they're the best actors in this. Sure. Because they're, they're, again, they're both from, I think, other mediums. I think they work better in other types of movies. So they're bringing that into this writing. And the writing doesn't always work coming out of their mouths, but at least they're doing something interesting in their delivery. Because all this show has, and we're going to talk about three episodes Talking, I'm going to have some trouble talking about these three episodes because all this show has is constant dialogue to push it along. All they do is, all they're doing is talking and rambling. And that's not new. We get that on Seinfeld. We get that on uh, Friends. You know, that that's the setup of these shows. But I think we had gotten it enough by 1999. And maybe it was starting to wear thin because on these yeah. shows... I mean, let's talk. The first episode we watched. What was the, what was the name of that episode? That was entitled uh, "The Client." The Client. Can you give a summation, a summary of what happened in this episode? Um, I know that there was <clears throat> the 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 title is in reference to the fact that AJ uh, AJ Langer is the actress. Uh, Lauren, uh, the character Lauren is a masseuse, mm-hmm. at least part time. Um, and I, I ga- gathered from this episode that Arthur had a crush on her and has a crush on her and did not want to get a massage from her because then he would become a client and that would kind of uh, prevent him from ever being someone that she might find intimacy with. And so he didn't want to get massage because he didn't want to be the client. And so that was one of the storylines throughout. Um, and then there was Jennifer Grey going on a date. Um, and certain things happening along those lines with that date. And then that's all I think I can remember from that episode. Well, and then a character opens a detective agency. It's something that happens as a as your C plot. Yeah. <laughs> a character opens a detective agency. for but But not for people, but for life's little mysteries. 
Yeah, a very surreal That's concept. Right. The character is Shrug, who is independently wealthy, I guess is just bored and decides to open uh, yeah, an agency for that. And that sticks. That continues through the series. That is a business that he runs. <laughs> it's surreal. It's bizarre. And it doesn't fit. But we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. Yeah, the, the, what you described is the whole episode. And there's really no structure to that. The, the, the plot is basically, yeah, Arthur, we're getting a Ross Rachel kind of thing with Arthur having a crush on Lauren. And then we're getting... We get a chance to have this, all the show is, is conversations. They have this whole conversation about how he's going to be, like you said, the client. This whole thing where it's like, once you're a client, you can never be a friend. And this this whole dissection of how relationships are supposed to work, how guys and girls, because it's a very yeah. heterosexual show. If, if you if you go to her job and then she massages you, somehow that translates to never being able to date her. This is a prudish show. Like It's a very prudish idea. He doesn't want to get a massage from someone who that's their professional job. And everyone is talking to him about how that would ruin his chance to ever ask her out. Like the, I, I get it. I, it's a whole metaphor of kind of it's a metaphor for being like in the friend zone as people say you know you're the client you'll never be her sexual whatever and that felt very seinfeld to me oh, that totally. kind of conversation but then, i mean it was um laughably ironic that uh one of uh lauren's other clients was larry david yeah that sounded like too painful of a shout out yeah i thought but it's also just it's a i don't know i found it obnoxious i mean like and I get it because I think in the 90s, it was fun to to be this bothered by things. The character of Arthur is bothered by the idea of her giving him a massage because right. because what, though? How do you explain that? Because he felt like it would be going from uh, a friend relationship to a professional relationship. And once you're in the professional relationship, you can never go back to the the the, the friend, possible boyfriend relationship. Does and that really make sense was, to you? I mean, they they I think they did it well. I think the conversations well. they had. I I do. I think the conversations they had. But when I say they did it well, I'm saying like if you were asked to write an episode of Seinfeld, mm-hmm. this would fit right in there. I think they did that well. 
I think they wrote the stereotypical conversation that Jerry and George would have. They wrote a stereotypical um, verse, like a high school drama yes. group version of it. Yes. that That's kind of like, and it, it just felt very, uh, I don't know if I want to say forced, but like very like specific to that style of conversation and topic. And, and like dissecting it, like you said, dissecting it to the point where they get to the point where it's like, oh, well, maybe you can, but only if she touches certain areas of your body. It's, it's very selfish. It's like a very selfish way to look at the world. Because like your relation, your position in this relationship is one thing and you want it to be something else. Like it's, and it's just, I get it. It's for comedy's sake. And, I, and it was a very 90s thing to do. Yeah. And a very 90s thing to hear. Is this show doing it badly, or is it just we had heard it enough by that point? I think it's probably that we had heard it enough, because I don't think the show did it horribly. I think there were, and there are other tiny little things that they, they do in the other episodes, one of which I have recently talked about, so that made me laugh that here, this in 1999 was a, a, a topic for comedy and in a short-lived ABC series, and, and I was just kind of riffing on it the other day and if you want to talk riffing i mean that's all this show does because another ongoing plot in this is like something about they're at a restaurant i guess there's a you know all these shows like have a coffee shop or a diner or something where they meet they go to a restaurant they're trying one of the characters is trying to order a medium rare hamburger and can't uh because somebody burnt their mouth on a i don't what is like (laughs) no somebody previously had eaten the medium rare and it made them sick Oh, and that's not this episode. The Th- that's rare. the next episode. I'm no, that's sorry. the next episode, right? This is a different yeah. hamburger conversation. This is a massive conversation about mayonnaise. That's what it was. I have in my notes mayonnaise discussion. Yes. <laughs> there was a very lengthy amount of the show spent on analyzing the concept of mayonnaise. And yeah. maybe that's a... And I feel like... And this is what felt insincere to me is I feel like, oh, that's an LA thing? Maybe? <laughs> That's it, like I guess you put mayonnaise at the time, on, but it's just like because I do think what makes this show the the moments where the show works to me, and there are very few moments where I feel like the show <laughs> works, it, are the moments where it's pointing out something about I guess Los Angeles, like the Jennifer Grey thing. That plot point wouldn't work in a New York sitcom because you don't have a lot of actresses around. Right. So I kind of like that, and and. As we'll see in the other episodes, there's discussion about like uh, you know aspects of driving and aspects like that, and that that kind of works. Like this is a show that I think was trying to make itself about Los Angeles, and I'm sure there have been shows set there in the past. I don't know why the '90s lent themselves so well to New York, or why as an audience we went to them so well. Because I mean, Los Angeles isn't new; <laughs> it's always been around. We went to a college for, uh, you and I went to Emerson College, which is, you know, a lot of people head out. You headed out to the movie Capital. Were, weren't you ever wondering where are the Los Angeles sitcoms? Wouldn't this have been appealing in some way? Um, yeah, I think it would have been appealing. Um, but I don't know why there weren't any. Maybe because L.A. Law kind of took over all of the <laughs> Los Angeles type scenarios. They couldn't get any more comedy out of that. But this is a sitcom. This, yeah. I mean, L.A. Law... Wasn't a sitcom. No, no. I mean, it may have I been hilarious, not. but <laughs> I don't know. I th- this and I know it's just one episode, but it's difficult to talk about because nothing. This show is very in love with its dialogue, 
and very involved totally. in creating shallow characters, I guess. Like these characters yeah. are shallow and they're supposed to it's be shallow. It's hard to enjoy them for sure. So it's odd to also put in, and we're going to see this as it carries into the next two episodes, when you have shallow characters like Seinfeld did, when you have characters you don't care about, it's weird to put a through line in. Like, it's weird to now have the character of Arthur having this crush on this girl. We're supposed to care about that because it's, once again, it's one of these fucking secret crushes. Yeah. Which I know we can relate to, but which are just so maddening to watch. They're not romantic to me anymore, and yet they used to be. Right. I used to find that endearing, but like, did you care for that? Did you want to see any of that? Were you curious if Arthur was going to somehow, you weren't. Not curious, uh, didn't care, didn't see any chemistry between the two of them to even want to care. So, no. And maybe it had been set up better in the the episodes we didn't see, but these three episodes didn't help the, the relationship. No. So, okay. So, I mean, this first episode is, I'm telling you listeners, we described it. <laughs> Pretty much everything <laughs> is there. There was a Jennifer Grey uh, plotline we didn't go to. It's, it's, it's weird. I mean, It's people, almost like vignettes in a way. And, and sometimes that's what Seinfeld was. This show is too much not Seinfeld. Like, that's basically the name yeah. of the show. I'm just trying to figure out what's the difference, though. Because it's like it has the same setup of characters, you know, or similar setup of characters, same relationships, similar relationships. Seinfeld, as for all the people talking about how it was a show about nothing, it wasn't just, it was never just a series of vignettes. They were all carefully stitched together in a way. And they did the thing about talking about aspects of dating life and that weird sort of, uh, you know, you're in the zone. Here's what the zone is. I'll tell you, you know, whatever. I don't, you know, they would, they would do that. Yeah. And this show does it as well. But for some reason, it worked on, on, on Seinfeld. I, in a way, I feel like these episodes tried to put too much into each episode. And maybe that was what kind of turned me off to them because there were jokes that I laughed at. There were moments I liked. The idea of Jennifer Grey playing Jennifer Grey was interesting. Well, the idea is funny, sure. But I almost wish they had gotten a different performer to play her because she's not that charismatic in it. Like, I don't know yeah. what her character is supposed to be. Besides- yeah, she was just... They did, you know, because usually what you do is you exaggerate that person. You're not trying to actually just be a bland human who exists. You want to have a little extra. And to me, that didn't seem to add anything extra. Maybe in that first episode, they were making her seem maybe she was more promiscuous than you might think she is in real life. But that really didn't hold or stick. Um, She didn't seem to be uh, uh, an asshole like some people like on the, um, the Ricky... Gervais show extras when they play themselves a lot of those guys uh, would be um, bigger assholes than you would expect them to be there was nothing extra about her she just seemed like a normal person were you still watching tv at this point like do you think you were watching a- no i'm saying because i am saying it's like in 1999 right say early 99 of course we were still watching friends you and i were yeah. watching that were you watching a lot of other sitcoms i think i was i was still watching a decent amount of tv um, Besides Thursday nights, I was, was definitely watching the Thursday nights. Like, what else was on back? I'm, that's what I'm trying to think. God, like, is, you're right. Like, I was watching the West Wing, the West Wing at that time. Hilarious. Sports, sports night, I think, was still on. Those ran consecutively. Those ran at the same time. I think they overlapped, like the last seasons of Sports Night and the first season of West Wing. I think. Don't quote me. We should have done Sports Night for tonight. I would have done that. <laughs> I would I would love to do Sports Night. And that leads me to another thing that I've, I found jarring watching this was the laugh track. I'm just so not 
used to the laugh track anymore. So when, when oh. this started and it was shot, it was shot. Um, they were outdoors. Well, they're so in Los was, Angeles. Had, they can do that pretty easily, though. Right. No, but that's what I mean. So it didn't have like a set feel like Friends. So the first opening scene of the, of this, they were outdoors, and so I was like, "Oh, they're outdoors." But then the laugh track hit, and I was like, "Oh, that doesn't connect for me." Oh, that was jarring to you. Yeah, that was jarring. So if they were like outdoors, like in the Friends outdoors, which is clearly a set, <laughs> laugh track makes sense. When they're really outdoors, and then I hear a laugh track, it just it was jarring. Oh, so I feel like this show is so paced for that laugh track. Like, I feel like you need that. I mean, that it is, but it's well, still jarring. And it's also not what I'm used to watching sitcoms today. But what about back then? Do you think you... I mean, I I think I probably watched some Dharma and Greg if Two Guys, a Girl, and the Pizza Place was on. Like, I, I was, Yeah, I watched a couple Dharma and Greg, Pizza Place. Yeah, I was, I'm sure I was aware of what was going. I just... This is the era. 1999 is around... I watched Drew Carey a lot. Oh, you did? That was on yeah. the same night as this? Yeah. In fact, this might have led into, I think I was saying, yeah. This... I did. I, although I think I watched Drew Carey more in syndication than I ever did when it was actually on. Mm-hmm. I think I saw the same episode of Drew Carey a couple times. But that's <laughs> about it. But uh, when this was airing, when this came on, you know, this was a mid-season replacement. Again, uh, I think it was promoted by you know, one of the writers of Seinfeld, even though it was on a separate network. It was on ABC, not NBC. But this was also kind of the, the, the dawn of or, or the push for reality TV was really coming into being. Like I think Survivor and a lot of these other shows that were almost like, you know, weird get nighttime game shows that were fear factor. I don't know if that was on yet, but stuff like that. Did you say who wants to be a millionaire? Because you cut out for a second for me. No, I didn't, but I should have because that was definitely on. Yeah, these shows were kind of coming on and drawing drawing quite an audience. I think. Yeah, and that's that's actually uh, who wants to be a millionaire is the ABC series, and and this is an ABC series, um, and I think that probably helped in pushing this out the door because they they couldn't give this a chance to actually take hold cuz like who wants to be a millionaire took off and then was like on every night for a while why why was it on every I night who wants to watch know. a game I mean we watch game shows during the day syndicated but at night that's like prime tv real estate that was pushing sitcoms out it did the idea of a sitcom, something I spent so much of the 90s watching, because I watched a lot. We watched a lot of half-hour sitcoms, I think. Yeah, we did. But I think it was starting to dwindle with this, and I'm, I, don't, I don't know why. Talking about how we watched a lot of sitcoms, we watched a lot of sitcoms about young adults venturing off into the real world and, and making a life for themselves. Uh, friends, single guy, Carolyn in the City. Inside Schwartz. Say again? Inside Schwartz? I don't... Yeah, Inside Schwartz, of course, Tim. Yeah, Inside Schwartz. Um, But it's like we were doing the same, and clearly you and I have talked about this before. We wanted to be Joey and Chandler. We wanted to have that kind of hip, cool sitcom life. That dope and fresh life. Dope and fresh, man. Um, And so... We, we did that during college when we were introduced to these shows and we tried to emulate it in a way after college, especially when we were living together um, and just trying to create these moments and these scenes where in our head there was a laugh track going off and we were making the joke and then there was that relationship and all this stuff that we were, we were trying to create that. And I think maybe you and I had grown up and matured and gotten to a point where we knew that wasn't how life worked and seeing it on TV 
over and over and over again wasn't really what we were into anymore. At 23? Uh, so, you think and, we had figured this out at 23? Uh, 20, I was 25 going on to 26 in 2000. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know if I figured it out. Maybe it wasn't conscious, but maybe subconsciously it just wasn't the pull anymore. I don't know, because I was still living the life of talking big. Like, that's the thing. Like, these kind of conversations I was having, I was doing this. I was I yeah. was minimizing the world into um, the zone, these kind of zones and things like that. <laughs> I mean, I was fucking doing that. But I, I don't know why it wasn't playing on TV. I, I mean, because I do see what you're saying. I, I, I definitely had an identity that was connected so tightly to TV shows that maybe you eventually grew out of that. And I'm sure that can happen, but I can't see that that was happening yet. I mean, we were still roommates. We were still fumbling through parties and things like that. Right. But um, well, let's talk about the next episode. See if that... There was another episode? <laughs> there were two more. I'm sorry, listeners <laughs> and Bob. Uh, the next episode we watched was episode six. This one was called Two Days in the Valley. Yeah. I've noticed that most scenes in the show start with someone saying so i was just and they would tell you what they were doing it's yeah. just like a way of setting up these jokes and this guy i think he was just in the bathroom right. and there was some issue with some guy in the stall coming out while he was in there Well, this was actually the bit that, that I actually uh, had riffed on just recently. I am of the mind. Yeah, I am of the mind that uh, if, if, if you're in the bathroom taking a dump uh, and there's someone else out there like washing their hands or whatever, there is no need for you to leave and expose yourself and, and have eye contact if you just took a massive dump. I have been the person sitting on the toilet and I've waited for people to leave uh, because it's just – I. I so I related to that bit. Um, I didn't think it was executed uh, all that great. At age uh, 44? At age 44, yes. I have had that moment where I'm washing my hands and somebody who just had a massive, shitty, loud dump um, exits the, the stall before I am done washing my hands, before I've completed everything I have to do. And it's like, I didn't want to see who you were. And this is mostly at work, too. So it's like, I might know this person. I might work with this person. So now, Do you really feel this, or is this your chance to, when it no, happened, no, no, I really you feel this. I have, I have had this conversation this with my wife. I've talked, you know, really? I've tried to, yes, I've, I've made Is it a some, serious conversation, or do you make jokes? It's jokes. It's a joke conversation. It's, it's, a, it's a slightly serious uh, problem that I have, but I do it in a jokey way. And so when they were doing it, I was like, holy shit. That's yeah. I'm I'm still living a sitcom life apparently. I guess because I just because it's a central to the plot. It intersects this whole idea about coming out of the stall. And I'm just like it, I. It was one of those things again. Now when I look back, I'm just like, boy, sitcoms were shallow. And I'm sorry, I'm not passing judgment on what I guess I am, but I'm not meaning to on what you said. But I'm just like. <laughs> 
the amount of reducing people and judging people for simple behaviors that that's all they can do. Right. Like, what are you going to do in a bathroom? You're going to take a shit. That's why right. those are in there. And you're not fooling anyone. No one's going to be like, oh, did, oh I, did, I didn't know anyone took a shit. Like, it's just, I don't know, stuff like that. I'm just, it's weird that comedy is built out of tearing yeah, people apart and, and saying it out loud as if, and when it happened on Seinfeld, I guess it hadn't been said before. But at this point, we had had 10 years of people asking us if we had ever noticed and telling us this little details. <laughs> True. But this this is the plot I was saying before about the hamburger. There's something about yeah, this is the, the restaurant that yeah, the restaurant they're going to can't do and and it's like does this also happen? They got sued because someone claims they ate an undercooked hamburger, so now they can't do medium rare. No, I don't think that ever has ever happened. That's just sitcom shit. And so two of the characters who want a medium rare hamburger decide to get the information of who's suing because they want them to drop the lawsuit so they can get their hamburgers the way they like them. And they get the information and they go, and I guess this is again where the show being set in Los Angeles is something that should work for that. The um, I wanted to ask you, did, did this seem weird to you? Because the, the, the couple, the person they're going to visit who's, who's having a lawsuit lives in Van Nuys. Yeah, where I used to live, Tim. Where you used to live. Yeah. yeah. This idea of San Fernando Valley and all the characters in Los Angeles are terrified with the concept of going there. I thought this was funny. The other preconceived notion that it's like the Wild West out there. Nobody goes to the valley. Is it far from Los Angeles? Is that a distance to drive? It's it's not too far um, geographically, but it can take some time because of the, the traffic. Um, but um, yeah, it's not, depending on where you go in the valley, it's not really all that far and out of the way. Although, to be honest, actually, um, most people in Los Angeles, because Los Angeles is so spread out, most people do stick to where they are. And so if you do need to go to the valley, it's a pain in the ass. But is it considered this horrible place to go to? Uh, generally. I mean, maybe it was at some point. I think there are, are people who grew up in the Valley who love the Valley. Um, I don't have a problem with the Valley. I get why the Valley is is a separate thing. And I get the, the heat joke that was in this episode. The, the temperature in the Valley can be vastly different from just over the hill in, in Hollywood in Los Angeles. Um, but... Yeah, the, the, the show itself, and maybe that was different in the 90s, but the, the one or two moments that we saw in the valley and the house there and the people from the valley, yeah, it's not really valley people and valley settings. It was more like, uh, uh, it was more redneck than the valley, actually. That's, what, that's how I was thinking. I was wondering, is that how it's, it's, it's set up? No. 
I know sitcom plots exist. There are plots where, you know, it's kind of like, oh, I've got, I got a date, two girls on the same night, but I keep switching, which, you know, like they're ridiculous <laughs> plots. I get the conceit yeah. of them. There's logic to it. There was no logic. This is, this particular hamburger plot had so much setup, so much yeah. explanation and just didn't make sense ultimately. Well, the character I mean, of Arthur was... goes on a date with this girl to get her to drop the suit, but it's not a date because everyone's there. It's just a chance to talk about cheeseburgers. Like it's, I don't, I don't get it. Actually, <laughs> I don't understand. It's, it's weird to be perplexed by a plot that has no plot. But that's exactly what was happening with this show. Yeah. It was, I, it was hard to get a vibe for the show because they, they, they seem to want to set it in a sort of reality by having. Jennifer Grey play Jennifer Grey and by having, you know, the setting seem real and, and the people seem as real as possible to an extent. But then the vibe of it and the stories and the dialogue had it have a more surrealness to it. Um, in the episode before where he was the detective, I think it ended with some sort of black and white noir. Oh, they detective. Like a film noir thing, yeah. Yeah, and and there was also a line from that episode that I thought was kind of funny. There had been the buildup of the mayonnaise and how he didn't want mayonnaise, and it's an L.A. thing to have mayonnaise. And then uh, Lauren's character uh, ordered a, a hamburger, and she's like, I'd, I'd like that with mayonnaise. And the, West, the waiter was like, oh, yeah, it comes with that. And she goes, okay, well, then extra mayonnaise. And he goes, yeah, it comes with that. Yeah, she likes to say, I like that tone. Yeah, that tone was great, because then he asked Jennifer Grey what she wanted, and she said, just the mayonnaise. And that tone, like, that's not a real thing. That's that's ludicrous, but it was funny. It was really funny. I liked that bit. And so there were moments from the show and all three of these episodes that we watched where, like, that vibe came out, where it was just silly. Um, but then you try and base it in this real world type of thing, and it just, it just didn't click. It didn't connect. But you had said something, as my voice cracks, you had said something at the start of the show where A.J. Langer's character, Lauren, uh, reminded you of the movie L.A. Story. I, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker in the movie L.A. Story. And L.A. Yeah. Story, I, I did an episode on it by myself once. That's my favorite movie. But It's a good episode, I, people. Check it out. Tim, link it. Put it, put it in the show notes. Get those numbers up to seven, people. <laughs> but, um, but no, the, the reason I'm, I'm referencing it, L.A. Story... Uh, which a lot of people compared to Annie Hall when it came out. It's a Steve Martin romantic comedy from 1991 set in Los Angeles. And I saw it when I was in uh, 10th grade, fell in love with the movie. And part of what I liked about that movie was, and again, it's it's because of the coast where I grew up. It's because of where I grew up, but I think it worked. Like Los Angeles was mythical to me. New York was too, but I could picture New York because I'm on, you know, I'm close enough to it being in New England. Los Angeles was a different world. I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't know how people got around. And it was, you know, magical because that's where Hollywood was. And that's where, where movies were made and celebrities were. And all the cool religious cults were there. And all the zany practices and psychology was all coming from there. And in L.A. Story, they present that in such a fanciful way. Like, it's not, I'm having since visited Los Angeles, it's not exactly accurate, it's magical, you know, it's it's exaggerated the way it's presented in the movie. But it's based off of someone's real experiences and real passions for living in Los Angeles. And there seems to be enough jokes in it that are like, yeah, you have to be in Los Angeles to get it. So whatever. So then that's fun. And, and it's exaggerated. All of those things. That could have been your show. This show is too much the characters from Friends or the characters from Seinfeld in the sun. Yeah. 
I had written down um, <clears throat> a couple because the other thing that I didn't want is a show called "It's Like You Know," um, <laughs> and so I had written down uh, some alternate titles, and one of them was "Friends in Los Angeles," uh, "These Friends of Mine in Los Angeles," and then also "Seinfeld in Los Angeles." No inside Schwartz in in Los Angeles, though. No, not 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 this time. I mean, um, I guess Los Angeles could very much be the environment. Like, it's it's probably hard on a sitcom yeah. sometimes to get a sense of environment. Like, uh, Drew Carey took place in Cleveland, but you don't really, I don't really get that from it because it's interior cess. It's a house. It's a yeah. it's a plant. Right. Uh, Roseanne took place wherever Roseanne took place. I'm not sure, but yeah. Um, also you know, Cleveland, uh, we'll say. Also Cleveland. Anything but I love mean, took place in Chicago. Two, the, that setting it was like a blue collar. They were blue collar characters sure and so and it made sense to be in a cleveland okay yeah but and and so that that is part of it but like it's never kind of like and that's cleveland you know like yeah. maybe yeah. there aren't and maybe there isn't i don't know because howard the duck takes place in cleveland i couldn't tell you that that's what it was in the movie okay. maybe not every city has its its noticeable brand or whatever Right. New York, I feel like you can get New York. And I feel like you would get that in these sitcoms. Friends and Seinfeld, while probably very exaggerated versions of New York, gave, I think, uh, gave me, at least as a TV audience, insight to an, envir- to an environment that I hadn't seen before, even though plenty of shows have been set in New York. I think that was an important new thing that, that shows did in the 90s. Do you think Frasier pulled off Seattle? No. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I get Seattle from singles, so that's always been my impression of it. So maybe okay. that's the wrong demographic. I but think they did okay. I think they how? did How? Okay he goes for... to a coffee shop. He's in an apartment. He has the entire city out. It did rain a lot. <laughs> that is true. But see, none of those sitcoms, though, could take place in Miami. You know? No. No, that's so, true. So, so the location a, does that is, matter to Well, but that's a location that works. I'm thinking Golden Girls and Empty Nest both oh, yeah. uh, take place in Miami. But that and it makes sense. Them. It does work for them. Yeah. Because they're old and they like the sun. They have, right. They're leathery They've like retired. a lizard. They've retired. Yeah, you do get some of that. Because I don't know if Golden Girls, you could have those characters somewhere else. But yeah, the Miami setting works for that show. And it's not just because of establishing shots. Well, that plays a big part in it. So why doesn't, I mean, this show does feel Los Angeles? I'm not sure. Uh, I don't think it does. I don't even like the opening credits, like the opening theme song. I'm not even going to call it a theme song, but the opening shot of a car traveling through, one would assume. Yeah, it was like Wings, but in Los Angeles. Doesn't look like Los Angeles at all. It's it's like the side streets of Los Angeles. There are too many too many trees that aren't palm trees. And, and eventually you get to a beach. And it's not even like a, a like the Santa Monica Pier or anything. It's it just doesn't grab you as Los Angeles, even in the opening title sequence. So it's not really using it, which is weird because your show is filming there. You don't have to go out of your way to recreate it. You just have to take a camera outside. Like they could have gone down Sunset and seen you know famous locations on Sunset, but nothing like that. It, it just I'm talking just the opening credits. But the last episode that we watched in this wonderful binge of three episodes that are oh, going this nowhere. This is another classic uh, Seinfeld bit throughout the episode. This episode seven, author, author? Yeah. Which actually started with someone saying, so I asked them how so they could tell their story. Like, that's the thing. I'm so, every scene has to fucking set up. It's so obnoxious. Yeah. But uh, what, before we get to the classic uh, Seinfeld bit, this 
of all the episodes, I like this one the most of the three that we watched. I felt like this had the most structure to it. It, it definitely had the most structure, and it was is well done structure. I, I liked the 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 conceit of it. Well, um, what's the basic conceit of it? What's the plot? Well, of this um, one? Arthur is supposed to be presenting his book to his publisher, who has come. He's flown out from New a York. A few chapters, I think, the first four chapters. Oh, okay. Yeah. I could. I must have missed that part. I thought it was supposed to be the whole book because he was like racing to to finish it or work on it. But it makes sense more sense that it was just chapters. That makes more sense. Um. So his publisher comes out, <clears throat> and he's writing this book about how uh, terrible Los Angeles is. And over the course of the first 15 minutes or so of the episode, the publisher who started hating Los Angeles um, slowly falls in love with Los Angeles because these little things keep happening to him. He 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 gets hit on at the restaurant. He um, meets a lingerie model who uh, he's going to take and show some books to or something. And of all people, Elliot Gould shows up and becomes fast <laughs> friends with this guy. from... One time mega movie star Elliot Gould <laughs> kind of slumming it here on this show. Yeah. Yeah, but no, it's it's and it's one of those plots where Arthur has to now re- he he gets it in his head that that his publisher now because he loves Los Angeles is like you have to make the book more positive. Well, the the publisher says that to him. Yeah. Yeah. That's how he gets the idea. That's how he gets the idea. It's spoken to him. And it's kind of like, you know, so that's crushing to Arthur cuz his whole this is the thing, like, and this comes up in the episode, his whole identity is hating Los Angeles. Like, that kind of makes him who he is. I think he even has a line that if they take that away, if he can't feel superior, he has nothing. And that's interesting. like that's a classic interesting character trait that's an involved character's trait um it also plays into in this episode he and lauren are having a discussion and somehow that whole conversation makes i think he's telling lauren that she doesn't get something like there's the, there's a question of intelligence level that comes up is that this episode that is this episode that's the seinfeld bit oh wait, where, how so well because um they have a back and forth where they're agreeing with each other and then she says, and I'm just as smart as you are. And instead of continuing to agree with each other, he takes a sip of his coffee. Um, so he does not agree with her. And that's his way of not saying that he's smarter than he is, but just avoiding it. And then throughout the episode, there are situations where different characters say something to someone expecting uh, a positive reaction. And all they do is sip the, the glass of water. And that goes on oh. throughout. Is that funny? Okay. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's funny. But it's classic. Uh, okay, yeah. I mean, I that plot line, though, I feel like what he's doing in, in, in this question of intelligence, like, I liked that. I'm like, well, that's character-driven. 
you know, that's that's giving us some reasons that these characters, they're, they're growing, they're figuring them, themselves out, and it's something I could relate to. Um, because, yeah, the stuff with the, but I, the stuff with the publisher is, it's more that exaggerated, it's supposed to be like, it's so much different from New York. In New York, people are crude. Here in Los Angeles, people are nice. Like, it's an, it's an interesting counterbalance that plays through the whole episode. It also has um, Shrug proposes a book to the publisher. I have to say this is like this is how they bring Elliot Gould in. Shrug proposes, I think, a book to he wants to do a straight to tape book. He doesn't even want to write it. He just wants to do a book on tape, um, which actually just produces the one joke that I thought was a brilliant joke um, that he offers a type of proposal for this book, and then Jennifer Gray points out that that would defeat the purpose, which I thought oh, that's funny for an audio book. But um, okay, and it's funny in conversation right now, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's interesting. This this episode gives us a very uncomfortable joke. Did you catch the Osama bin Laden joke from 1999? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I, that was I weird, did. right? So, next joke of little... bin Laden done that. Yeah. I guess I think he would have maybe not have blown up the um I'm forgetting the name of the the battleship that he blew up. No, so that hadn't happened, but that was that was a weird kind of timely different time kind of thing, but I don't know this this episode works like this because I mean again there's too much bantering there's too much of just people rambling on and on like there's one they they find it funny to say like people's names like Ernie Dana Dana. like there's people just saying names back and forth (laughs) constantly which I hope you know I'm talking about because I sound like a crazy person but it happens. Like, that stuff's annoying, but the stuff about the New York versus L.A. thing, which I feel like should have been the crux of the show from the start, that should have been something you get tired of after a few seasons. This is the only time we're really seeing that, and I feel like the show needs more of that. It reminds me of that part of Annie Hall where Alvy visits Los Angeles, and that juxtaposition is so great. You know, it's because they are. They're very different worlds, and it's fun to kind of see... That and and this episode plays enough around with it. Like maybe the show is starting to find itself. Like, do you think maybe the show could have improved based um, off of this episode? I could see it improving. I mean, it did get a second episode um, or a second second season, which they canceled um, so, halfway through, but it did. Yeah, yeah. So they must have seen some promise in it, and uh, yeah, I think it could have gotten uh, better. I, I think it again needed to find itself. It needed to find the the tone that it wanted. Um, and in these episodes, it just didn't seem to have it. There was like just too much back and forth between what it wanted to be. And what would that tone have been, though? Like, or what, what, it, is, what it could have been? Could yeah, what could it have been? Like, would you have watched this show if you had had the time in the nineties? If this was on after Friends, would you have watched it every week? I don't know that. I don't know that I would have. Knowing that we both said we watched the single guy, really? <laughs> I didn't watch the single guy that often. Oh, okay. But what's so, I mean, I know right now we're picking it apart. I feel like back then I would have liked this because it's just, it is more of the same. It is the same rhythm. You know, it's not like we'd be watching it every day or three in a row. I don't know. I don't know if I would have liked the, the hint of surrealism that it kept giving. That's what I love about it now. But see, that's what I'm saying. It's like there wasn't. It didn't have the a tone. It didn't have a set tone, and I think that would have annoyed me. Where it would it would kind of give us some surrealism, then it would go back to reality, then it would be Seinfeld, then it would be Jennifer Grey satires herself. Then you know there wasn't there was no defined 
tone to the show. And I think that would have annoyed me back then. Even the fact that it's not on NBC seems a little off-putting, you know? It's like, this isn't what an ABC show feels like, and that's weird. Yeah, ABC was all TGIF. This wasn't a TGIF show. Well, they were also Drew Carey, and they were also Dharma and Greg. But see, even those, to me, feel more like TGIF shows. Why is that? I don't know. I think because it's, it's, it's lighter. It, there's, the cynicism isn't there. This show is pretty cynical. I'll tell yeah. you that. I watched a lot of it, by the way. We watched these three episodes. I watched probably about five more. Did you did you want to like it? Like, were you searching for joy out of out of further episodes? Well, because there was something familiar about the show. Still, there was a familiar pace to it of a sitcom that is missing in modern sitcoms. I don't see and don't feel, and so that I was hoping to get something out of. And I'm just fascinated now. And I don't know if it was trying hard back then, but to watch it now, this is a show that's just trying too hard. Trying too hard to be cynical, trying too hard to be to not play your heartstrings, trying too hard to seem detached, to be smug. And I'm just like, the moments that really work are when that slips. The moments that really work are those moments where you're seeing a little bit of the character or a little bit of the city. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, I love sitcoms. I really do. I loved the laugh track live audience medium of a sitcom, or thought I did. And now sometimes I wonder, does it dumb it down? Does it make it hard to do certain jokes to do that? Like Friends. And I know it's off Netflix. That was how I was going to open the show. I was going to ask if you're missing Friends now that it's off Netflix. But I was re-watching those on Netflix a bit. And that I started noticing that there is a pacing with that live audience where you probably don't get a chance to do certain things that you lose a little bit of because you have to follow the rhythm. But I think that's fine. I mean, like, I think sitcoms exist to be entertaining within that half hour. And the idea of a serialized, prolonged romantic story in a sitcom was new and it's interesting and I liked it. But I don't know. I, I, I guess at the end of it, I'm just, I'm let down that this show wasn't funnier, which is weird. This show doesn't owe me anything. No. And I'm let down that I chose to talk about it because I think we <laughs> talked into the ground. <laughs> Well, I'll I'll give you the next topic then. We'll 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 have it fall on me for next time. Now, readers will appreciate that. Readers, listeners will appreciate that. <laughs> readers, eh, they're fine. But they're listeners fine. will appreciate that. But but uh, you know, if you appreciated this episode, were you done? Do you think you're set? Oh you yeah, good? We're, I yeah. was done like twenty minutes ago. Oh shit! This is so bad. <laughs> Uh, listen, if you want to hear an example of a good episode, if you want to hear when, when this show is firing, this what was it a sounds good like, episode. You don't know that. I, I know do it know wasn't. That. But, well, well, really? Yeah. What was what was good about this episode? What was what was the good name? Two good parts of this episode. It, it's like you know, just Ooh. one of those cream. <laughs> um, I know. Are you no, proud of that? We no. Are you well, proud we, of that? That's the one thing we didn't talk about in this episode is is how that catchphrase had to be in every episode. Did that stop? Did that stop? You've watched five more episodes. Did no? They did do that it. They, they they keep it up. Oh, <laughs> they are they are that they keep that one going. That hilarious mm. joke going. And if you like hilarious jokes, you can keep this show going by supporting it. How by visiting twentypopcast.com, the main website for the show. The most recent episode is always up there streaming right on the homepage. Also, there's links to all of our past episodes. So you can uh, listen to those. There's also uh, options to subscribe to the show, which I, despite this episode would suggest that you do um, on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, 
Stitcher, any, any, however it is you get your podcast, you can probably find us there. Subscribe, listen, let us know what you think. Drop a little review if you can. It always helps. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at 20 Popcast. Twitter is the same at 20 Popcast. Um, so yeah, there's that, Bob. Um, yeah, you could follow me on Twitter at RH Canning. I would like to know if you have a favorite late 90s sitcom that nobody ever talks about anymore that maybe was too short-lived. Um, there's got to be more. I imagine there's more. And we're going to talk about each and every one of them on their own individual 64-long <laughs> episode these co- in these coming weeks. That's what we're going to do. That's what the show will become. I really I encourage that. Also, we'll know who listens to the end of the episode. The, the, whoever will tweet me another lost sitcom, we will make that uh, a future episode. If we can get access to watch it. If we can it. have access to it. And if it's not inside shorts. I hope it's inside shorts. Oh God. I hope it's this show again. What was the name of the what was the name of the show? Uh Herman's Head. Well that predates these shows. Yeah, that's early nineties. That has uh Lisa Simpson's voice was on that. I think uh I think what's her name who played Ross's ex wife was on that too. I think she was the one of the leads. That's Herman's Head. Was there another show where you see the inside of somebody's brain and thoughts? There was one with a little Sam Kinison. What was that one called? It was like he had a little, little Sam Kinison. Well, I don't think it was Little K. No. <laughs> I don't remember what it was called. But it was like a little, like a voice on his shoulder, Sam Kinison, that would shout at him. Jeez. There was a show called Whoops about the nuclear apocalypse. What about the There's... Chris Elliott show? I never watched that, but people seem to really I watched like some that. of that. I enjoyed that show. What about what duets? Did you ever watch duets? I don't know if I did watch duets. Was the Andy Richter show in the late 90s? Andy Richter controls Andy, the universe? That was in the 2000s. That was much, oh, much later. That, yeah. I, loved, I loved that show. Because uh, Paget Brewster was on it? Damn right. But also because... Damn really Ackroyd. Damn Ackroyd was on it. You know, from Ghostbusters and Soul Man. So the- he had a sitcom for one year called Soul Man. It was a spinoff of Home Improvement. He played, surprisingly, a what? minister. And I think he sang the theme song, Soul oh, Man. Oh, that's right. He was with, a with, minister. With that Dan was a spinoff? Ackroyd. Yes, because he appeared on an episode of Home Improvement. Wow. And then he got that. Yeah, Dan Ackroyd doing some sitcoms. Weird. Dan Ackroyd. Dan Ackroyd. Damn this show. This was awful. No, no. You're going to find that it was very good. And you're going to leave this part find this? You self-deprecate at the end of every episode, Tim. So. Yeah, and most of them have turned out well. The, the <laughs> most recent Christmas episodes one didn't. Okay. I fear that... This, well, because this one, we never... <laughs> nobody knows this show. But that's, so why, hear, that's why it's going to be interesting. And, and people will listen and they'll seek yeah. it out. They'll, they'll watch more episodes they'll listen than and then they'll. Si- well, well, you're welcome, makers of that show.